We're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, and they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we need you this morning. We need a word from you today, and I pray, Father, for a special revelation of your spirit. In Jesus' name, we open up our hearts to you now, Lord, to hear your word and to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I'm going to entitle this message, You Need an Apocalypse. You Need an Apocalypse. The word apocalypse is one of those interesting words that often immediately conjures up images, conjures up images of, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I see buildings on fire, planes falling from the sky. I see all kinds of destruction. In fact, there's some images here to help you out with what, what I think, and perhaps hope many, many of you think the same thing. The, the definition by the Oxford Dictionary of, of Words says that an apocalypse is a complete final destruction of the world as described in the biblical book of Revelation. Uh, the, the phrase, the bells ringing is supposed to usher in the apocalypse kind of gives that, that connotation that the word means the end of the world. Um, uh, the other definition for the word apocalypse is it's an event involving destruction or damage or an awesome catastrophic scale. It's, a, it's an attack. It's a, a, an end-of-the-world event. And uh, uh, sometimes Hollywood likes to depict these in a numerous of different ways. Uh, you, might, you might read of uh, the natural disasters ending the world, you know, like giant tsunamis uh, as high as the uh, the uh, the Statue of Liberty washing into New York and flooding it completely, or or perhaps it's a, a volcanic eruption that triggers a series of tornadoes and hurricanes and destructive things. And it's it's an event that seems to bring about the end of the world. Perhaps it's even in the superhero supervillain genre, you know, where these giant alien ships descend from a portal in the sky and begin to consume buildings one by one. And maybe Godzilla or King Kong, you know, one of those apocalyptic type end of the world destruction videos. Maybe even it's on the biological nature and it's the zombie movies, right? It's the zombie apocalypse and there's all kinds of creepy Hollywood productions out there that, that, 
that basically implant in us the idea an apocalypse is something we do not want to go through. Right? We don't want to go through an apocalyptic thing. And, and no doubt when COVID started, people thought that this was the new zombie apocalypse, right? You know, and that's, isn't that funny? Like how they, they really treated you. If you coughed, you were like, oh, they have it. They have the virus. They're going to infect me. Run! <laughs> and this, this, but I think that really comes from watching too many of these movies, right? The world is 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 punch drunk on these kind of uh, apocalyptic type imageries and images that seem to say this is the end of the world. So what in the world, Pastor, are you trying to tell me this morning that I need an apocalypse? I pretty much don't want to live in this kind of place where everything's destroyed and zombies are walking around and dragons are flying in the sky and portals are being opened to spaceships with aliens coming to destroy the world because they think we need some kind of a cleansing and the only way to do that is to kill all human beings. I, 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 I don't know, Pastor, that's not really what I envision as what I need. When I came to church this morning, I wasn't thinking, man, I really hope Pastor gives me a message that tells me I need to end my life or I need some kind of catastrophic event to end my life. And I'm, I'm only illustrating all of this very vividly for you this morning because I want to help you redefine what this word actually means. Uh, now, when you look in the English dictionary, the word apocalypse means a lot of these same things that I've talked about. But if you go back, apocalypse is one of those words that's been transliterated. I've talked about this a few times different places, but translation is taking one language and bringing it over into another language and using the words of your language to define the word in the other language. That's translation, right? Um, uh, in French, if I were to say salle de bain, I would be saying the word bathroom. But if I were to, so that's translating it, okay? I'm, I'm taking it from one language and putting the same words together in the other language. Transliterating is pulling that word from the foreign language into my language. So apocalypse is one of those words. Apocalypse is not a a, a, a natural English word, but it is a word that's been pulled in from the Greek. The word in the Greek is apocalypto, and you can see how they are very similar, very close, is because they've, they didn't translate the word, but they, they transliterated, they pulled the word into the English language. Apocalypto in the Greek literally means to uncover, lay open what has been veiled or covered up. To disclose, to make bare, to make known, make manifest, or disclose what was before unknown. Anybody ever had an aha moment? You ever had an aha moment where you went, oh, that's what that was. You just had an apocalypse. Something that was covered up before is now uncovered and revealed to you. It's opened up. It's made plain to you. It's like pulling back the curtain. How many of you ever saw the old Wizard of Oz movie? Right? Yes. Oh, yeah, Wizard of Oz, right? Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow, follow, follow. Okay, I won't bore you with that song. 
Um, so, yes. <laughs> but at the end of the song, at the end of the whole movie, there's this scene where everybody's trying to get to the wizard. If we could just get to the wizard, he'll, he'll give us a heart. He'll give us a brain if I only had a brain. And he'll give us, you know, I want to get back home. And he'll give me courage. Every one of the characters is going to the wizard to get what they need. And they get to the wizard and he can't give them what they need. And the little dog, goes, Toto, goes over to the curtain and starts pulling back the curtain. And it revealed that the wizard was not much of a wizard, but he was just an old man with a big computer. And, and the wizard was saying, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Don't look until he was, it was exposed. The wizard actually couldn't help them because he wasn't a wizard at all. He pulled, the, what happened there, there was an apocalypse. The whole movie centered around getting to this big wizard who can help us. And they get there and the apocalypse is, well, you already had the courage because you went through all these difficult things to get here. You already had a heart because you were caring for someone who was in need. And you already, you already had a brain because you figured out how to defeat the wicked witch. And, and Dorothy, you already know how to go home. You just have to wake up. So it's this whole convoluted story to get back to the idea that you didn't need the wizard at all. You had everything you needed to begin with. They exposed a reality to the characters in the movie that there was no wizard. They had an apocalypse, an aha moment. A, oh, <laughs> they exposed what was really going on. Often in the Bible, you'll read of people having their own personal apocalypses. John, or I'm sorry, Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, verse 3 of chapter 9, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Aha! The curtain is pulled back. Paul thought he was, he was going around persecuting the ones who were perverting the word of God. But in fact, he was actually perverting or, or persecuting Jesus himself who was God. And Paul had a revelation on the road to Damascus. Jesus pulled back the curtain on Saul's eyes and he saw for the first time what he could not see before because God gave him an apocalypse. The interesting part about that verse is that when Paul had a spiritual apocalypse, he became physically blind. God removed his natural eyesight so he could give him spiritual eyesight. Paul often talked about his conversion experience as seeing the light or having a great light shine on him because God exposed something that was before hidden. And now it is revealed he had an apocalypse. He had a revelation. In fact, the word at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we get this idea of, of the end of the world apocalypse because often what happens when someone has an apocalypse is there is somewhat of an end of their world. Paul was living one way. He had an apocalypse, and he left a completely different man. He had to sever relationships that he had held dear to his heart before. 
He had to stop doing things now that he had the apocalypse that he was doing before he had the apocalypse. Before he was revealed to him that Jesus was God, he was fighting against the church. Then when Jesus revealed himself to be God, Paul became an apostle of the church. He had a complete conversion experience. He had an aha moment, an apocalypse, a revealing that changed his life forever. Changed his life forever. Paul had this apocalypse. He had this curtain pulled back on his life, and he had a revelation of who Jesus was. May I submit to you this morning, we all need an apocalypse today. We all, in our own way, need a revealing of the hand of God in our lives. We all need that moment when God pulls back the curtain, and what we have been looking at is now changed, and we see it differently. Many of us that may be going through something, you may be suffering a difficult situation in your life, suffering a difficult uh, diagnosis in your health, uh, suffering with difficult circumstances in your home and in your marriage. You are probably wishing that God would pull back the curtain and give you that apocalypse that would reveal, give you some kind of meaning. God, I'm okay to go through this if I know that there's something behind it all. If it's just a, if it's just suffering and and and, and terrible things, that I need you help with this. I need you to to redeem this somehow. I need an apocalypse in my situation. I need a revelation in my situation to help me get through what I'm getting going through. Jesus takes his disciples. In our text this morning, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And to understand what he's saying, it's very powerful. This scripture becomes a little bit more colored. The lines You know, before you could read it and it just sounds flat, but the more you understand the backdrop of what Jesus is saying, there's a lot more 3D color. We go into a little bit high definition view of what's going on here. And so Jesus takes his people to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is an interesting place. It's located 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, if you want to Throw up that map for me, Garfield. At the base of Mount Hermon, Caesarea Philippi is, uh, let's see if we can find it on here. Caesarea, here we go. Boop, right there. Caesarea Philippi is, is, uh, is located in one of the largest springs that feeds the Jordan River. Its abundant water supply had made the land very fertile. It had made the land very prosperous. Its abundant water supply was attractive because uh, wherever there was water, there was life. And uh, as was the custom of this day, if something was going well, it had to be going well because a God was blessing it, according to the traditions of the worship of that area and that region. And often, Water was considered a god. There was a god of the waters. There was a god of the the plants. There was a god of harvest. There was a god of this and a god of that. So when there was an abundance of all these things, it seemed to the people as though this was a place that the gods had blessed, had caused to be prosperous. So there was a number of different temples to a number of different gods that were were there. There were Hellenistic temples and Roman temples, and there were temples to other deities that were in this region. 
It was, uh, it was an attractive area. Galilee was the center of Baal worship in the Old Testament, and eventually the worship of Baal turned into Greek mythology, and from the Greek mythology came the Roman pantheon, and we have these, these mixing of religions and, and, and all these things happening in this one region. The, the pagans of Jesus' day believed that the spring that was here was attributed to uh, someone by the name of Pan. Pan was considered to be the god of fertility. He was the god of lust and fertility and even fear. He, Pan was a half-goat, half-man individual that would go down into the underworld during winter, and thus there were poor crops. There was no fertility. There was no um, productivity going on because Pan had descended into the underworld and was not present to help them get what they needed out of the earth. So in order to summon him from the abyss, the pagans of the day of Jesus would would perform great ritual dances that often included and sometimes demanded sacrifice and prostitution, bestiality. And this time of year was dreaded by the church because it was it was just a, a public display of everything immoral and against the laws of God. The dances would last late into the night, and the sight was a frightening one because up against a cliff, if there's a picture there of a cliff, uh, they would build these little coves into the cliff, and there they would erect idols and worship them at the base of this mountain. And if you go to the next picture, if you will. And so the disciples are, are here at this, is there another picture, Garfield? Is there one of a mountain cliff side? So they would, they, at, this, at this spot in Caesarea Philippi, they would, they would dance around the base of a mountain. And at nighttime, they would erect great fires at the base of this mountain. Uh, if this, go to the next picture, if you will. The next one. Is there another one there? That one there. Okay. This is, this is likely the place that Jesus had taken his disciples. And if you can impose upon this you're in your image, your mind's eye, it's nighttime. There's bonfires all around at the base of this mountain, at the base of this cave. And by the way, this, this cave was the spring. As you can see, there's, there's probably can't see it very well, but there's water trickling down this way. This is the mouth of the cave where they would perform their ritualistic dances and, and displays. And they would light fires and offer sacrifices. And, and all kinds of things were done around this fire that are unspeakable. And it was around the springtime. They would go and they would perform these dances. And, and it literally would cast shadows on the, the rock. There was giant shadows of the dances and the, the acts that they were performing with each other and with animals and just all kinds of debased activity happening at the base of this mountain, all in the name of bringing Pan out of the underworld, out of the, the abyss, and back up into the land of the living to give them a fertility-laden year, a productive, prosperous year, out of the spring of this mouth of this very large cave. In fact, 
the, this cave, you want to just stick to that, that picture there. This cave is known as the gates of the underworld. It's, in that day, it was called the gates of Hades, or what we might say, the gates of hell. And it was at this place that they would dance and they would sing and they would do all of their thing to call this demon god Pan up from the abyss to give them life. You see the twisted sense of all of this that's going on. And it's in this location, the Bible says, Jesus takes his disciples to the coasts of Caesarea Philippi. He brings them right to the base of this mountain, right to this backdrop of what's going on behind them. They know what this place is all about. And Jesus asks his disciples a question. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus creates a contrast for his disciples. You understand that when God asks a question, he's not asking it because he needs to know the answer. He's asking in a didactic uh, way of teaching. He's asking by, by uh, proposing a question and, and having you, uh, you know, process it through and answer it for yourself to help yourself learn. And so Jesus is asking in this way to help the, the students learn not because he needs to know the answer. He's asking them, I want you to think back and recall to your mind, what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? They were in a location that was known as the gates of hell. And Jesus asked them the question, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples answered the question, Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 14, they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now this is very important because when in Jewish custom, this, these characters are prophesied, they are, God, God basically said in the Old Testament that th it would be these men, the spirit of these prophets would come in the last days and they would announce the arrival of Messiah. They would announce the arrival of Messiah. And Messiah's job, this, the, the job of the Christ, was to come in and set right all of the, the teachings of pagan religion. They, the Messiah would come in and he would, he would set to right every injustice against the people of God. And the Bible prophesies that the knowledge of God would flow as the waters flow in the sea. It would be plenteous. It would be abundant. And, and uh, Ezekiel even prophesied that the, the waters would flow from the temple and be go little ways and it would be ankle deep. And then it would be knee deep. And then it would be waist deep. And then it would be waters to swim in. And the idea there was that the knowledge of God would spread in the earth and would become so prevalent every nation would be touched. And the Gentiles would come and worship at Jerusalem. This was all going to happen around the eyes idea of the Christ, the Messiah. And so, so Jesus is saying, well, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, they don't want to say you're the Christ, but they'll say you're the one like John the Baptist, come back from the dead. You're, you're like Elijah the prophet. You, you speak like Elijah and you, act, you do miracles like Elijah. Some say you're like Jeremiah because you call out the religious leaders for their sin. And, or you're like one of the other prophets. You're, you're not the Christ, but you are 
you're very prophet-like and there's something special about you, so maybe the Christ is going to come after you. Jesus then turns the question against his disciples. And he says, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. There's no doubt about it, Jesus. You're the one that's going to set to right everything that's going on behind us right now. There's no doubt about it, Jesus. You're the one that's going to sit to right everything that's going wrong in the temple. You are Messiah. You are the Christ. And might I add, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God. Uh, an important statement. You are the Son of God was as, uh, as much to say you are God in the flesh. You are God in the flesh. That's exactly what Peter was saying. You are the Son of God because they knew that God was a spirit. He was invisible. He was not a, a, a distinctive entity. He was a spirit that filled all time and all space. So the Son of God had to be the manifestation, the physical form, the fleshly representative, the, the image of the invisible God. That's what Peter was saying. Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God. You are the Son of the living God. You have arrived on the earth to be the Christ and the Messiah to us all. And Jesus says to Peter in verse 17, Blessed, happy, and fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, men, has not apocalypsed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Notice what I did there. I transliterated the word to help you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has apocalypsed this unto you. You have received, an, you've had an apocalypse moment, Peter. You've had a moment when the curtain was pulled back and the truth was revealed. This did not happen to you by the hands of men and women. This did not happen to you through the event of a, 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 of a lengthy sermon. This did not happen to you at the end of a Bible class. But this happened to you because God in this moment pulled back the curtain of your understanding and gave you insight into what you could not see before. But now you can see it clearly that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need a fresh view of who Jesus is. But it's interesting to me. Jesus did not use the backdrop of the Torah to give this revelation. Jesus did not use the backdrop of the temple or of the religious leaders. Jesus didn't do this in a sanctified place like where we are today in a church building. Jesus' revelation came to Peter amidst the stark contrast of the wickedness of his present day. I want you to know and I feel the Holy Ghost as I say these things here to you this morning. It doesn't matter how wicked the world is, how debased they are. While Jesus was yet speaking, it's likely that unspeakable acts of promiscuity and wickedness were going on in the backdrop. Sacrifices to a pagan God, beckoning him from the underworld. And while Jesus is yet speaking to his disciples, divine revelation comes to one of them. And he receives the revelation that Jesus is 
The God-man, the man Christ Jesus, but also God in the flesh. In the center of a broken and a wicked world, a man by the name of Peter received an unspeakable and unearthly revelation that could not have come to him by years spent in a seminary. It could not have come to him by perusing the books of church history and reading what the church fathers had to say about Jesus. They're all well and good and they have have their place in their right, rightful perspective, but you need a divine revelation, and that revelation doesn't have to come from being in a seminary or a Bible school. You can be in the center of wickedness, and God can pull back the curtain of your eyes and understanding and give you an apocalypse, a revelation. Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. We are not going to receive this by flesh and blood. You won't receive understanding from the word of God through flesh and blood. I'm a good preacher and I'm a good teacher. That's not pride. That's just confidence. I know I, I've spent a long time working on it. I've spent a long time. I've been to school for it. God's helped me in it and it's, it's what it is. I, 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 I can do it. It's, I'm good at it and God helps me. He anoints me. He, he makes up for the lack and the difference, right? Okay, but I can't give you a revelation of who Jesus is. That revelation comes from God and from a divine apocalypse in your life when God helps you to see what you could not see before. We are living in a day that is getting increasingly wicked. Wickedness is abounding on every side. Censorship and everything is coming at us from all sides. If, 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 if the, the, the governments are, are, are plotting their, their ways and they're not according to the word of God. They're not lining up with godly principles. Now, they're in line with the word of God on a, on a trajectory sense. They're, everything, the Bible says that the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he can go like this and turn the heart of the king and just like water in the hand. He can... He can tip it this way and that way. I'm not worried about the kings of the earth. I'm not worried about the governments of this world. Why? Because I've had an apocalypse. I've had a revelation. God's pulled back the curtain for me one time too many for me to see that it's all going to be okay in the end. And there will be a time of persecution. Yes, there will be times of difficulty for the church. There will be times like today where we see wickedness rising on every corner. Guns in schools and murders in malls. And, and, and it doesn't feel like you can go anywhere and be safe. That is just a, 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 a construct of our broken world, our broken and fallen world. But may I submit to you, do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said that in my Father's house are many mansions. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I go, you may be there also. By the way, Jesus was not talking about heaven there. You can read it for yourself. The context is very, we use that that verse, that passage to talk about heaven because Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions and he's going to prepare that place and we, woo, Jesus is making, building me a mansion up in glory. Hallelujah. But that doesn't fit the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. 
So why is it Jesus would spend his entire life as a homeless nomad going about doing the will of God, but all of a sudden we get to the other side and we get this luxurious mansion in which servants drops grapes in our mouth and we get to just relax for all of eternity? That doesn't add up. That doesn't, that doesn't follow. One does not follow the other. He lives one way all his life and then flips over the page and now we're in some kind of lap of luxury. Also, the wordage doesn't make sense. In my father's house are mansions. Well, I don't know about you, but a house is smaller than a mansion as far as I'm concerned. And so how can a house be in a mansion? When you peel back the layers of understanding of the word, you see Jesus is saying, in my father's house are many rooms. Another way of saying it is, in my father's tree, there are many branches, right? In my family tree, there is a place for you. And I'm going, Jesus said, to prepare that place for you in my father's house, in his family. Because in the ancient days, to live in a family was to live in a large house. And when new family members were added, they added rooms to the house, the Amish community continues this practice today. You can go uh, into, into uh, areas of Ontario where they have lots of Amish people, and you'll find the original house. You can see it. You can look. They built the original house, and there's always additions going on to the house. New additions. Why? Because the family was getting bigger. So in the father's house, in the family home, new rooms were being added because new members were coming into the family. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a new room for you in my father's house. I'm adding space to my father. How was Jesus going to do that? Jesus said, where I go, you know the way I take. He told his disciples, you know which way I'm going to go. And they said, Jesus, we don't, we don't know what the way you're taking or the way you're going. We don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus Jesus had to tell his disciples, I've been talking to you about this all the time. I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to be crucified, but in three days I'm going to rise. I'm going to have prepared a place for you in my Father's house. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, my death on the cross, my burial in the tomb, and my resurrection from the tomb is going to be the construction and the completion of the new rooms in my Father's house. That all you have to do is go through the door to get into the house, and then you'll get into the new room. Well, how do you go through the door? Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. I I am the truth. I am the life. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. If you're going to have this, this, this experience that's going to wash away your sins, you're going to have to repent of your sins. You're going to have to be baptized in the name of Jesus because Jesus' name is the only saving name under heaven whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. If you're going to come into the fold, you've got to come through me. You've got to go through the name. you baptized in the name and you're filled with the Spirit. That gets you into the Father's house. Jesus tells his disciples this, and he's revealing these things to them. He's revealing to them in the center of Caesarea Philippi. In the middle of a broken world, Jesus reveals divine truth to his disciples. This world is going to get a whole lot wickeder. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news and hopefully... I'm not bursting your world bubble that was hoping things were going to become easier and better for Christians. They're not. It's just not on the, the it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And, and the Bible doesn't make it out to be like it's going to get better. The Bible makes it out to be like it, it might get a lot worse. It will get a lot worse 
for believers in Jesus. But Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry about that. Don't let that overwhelm you. Why did Jesus take his disciples to the center of wickedness and debauchery to reveal something spiritual to them? I think he was setting a precedent. My work will be done in the middle of chaos and brokenness. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that there was darkness that covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord moved on the face of the waters. It needs to get dark so the light can shine bright. It needs to become chaotic so the Father can step in and speak His word into chaos and chains literally fall off of the hearers and those who want to receive it, receive it in a miraculous and spectacular sort of way. I believe chaos needs to be there for the Spirit of God to come in and set order to the chaos. That's what God is all about. He's not afraid of the brokenness. Don't get all dismayed at all the the kerfuffle in the world and all of the brokenness and the sin and the debauchery and the wickedness that runs rampant and the persecution against the church that you read about and you see coming into North America. Don't get upset by that. Don't be scared of that. Jesus prophesied it would happen. And Paul said it like this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There, you, you should not have any kind of fear of death because fear death is not your greatest enemy. If you die, Paul said, you gain. You, what can they do with someone who's not afraid to die? The most dangerous people in all of history have been the people who were not afraid to die. The most dangerous people to societies, the most dangerous people to to empires and to large world powers were people who were not afraid to die. Why? Because death was the power of every one of those nations. They held everybody in fear of death. What was the power of covid What was the power of COVID? When we stopped being afraid of dying, what did we do? We came out of our houses. We took off our masks. We stopped, we, we, you know, maybe you got vaccinated. I did. Whatever. That's not the point. I'm just saying, what was the power of COVID? It was death. The fear of death. But if we are believers in Jesus, Paul said, to live as Christ and to God. Now, I know for parents, I don't want to die because I have, I have children I want to take care of. And I have a calling on my life that I want to fulfill and see through until the Lord sees fit to call me home. So I don't want to die. Paul said to live as Christ. If I live, I'm doing the work of Christ and it's good. But if God sees fit to call me home, I, I just live in the, in the belief and the understanding that Satan can't take my life. Satan has no authority over my life whatsoever. If he had authority over my life before I was saved, now he even has less authority, which I don't believe he had authority in the beginning anyway, before I was saved. Now that I'm saved, he definitely has no authority to take my life unless God wills it. What was, it, what was the pattern in Job? God said, okay, you can touch his body, you can touch his house, you can touch his family, you can touch his wealth. You cannot take his life. There is something about those who are under the hand of God that Satan cannot take your life. He can threaten you. He can make you afraid. But if you have an apocalypse, that's why I said you need an apocalypse. You need to have a revelation. Jesus is behind 
the scenes. He's in control. He's going to have it his way. The world is going to war. It's going to fight against him. You, you, you can read the book of Revelation and, 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 well, try to understand everything that's in there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, I'm telling you. But it's, there's, there's ways to get through it. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. Don't let your hearts be troubled. When you see the wickedness in the world, I, I get discouraged and dismayed at it. And it's heartbreaking to see the things that are in the world. It's, it's hard not to be troubled by it. But don't let it make you afraid. Don't let it have power over your, your testimony. Don't let it have power over your sleep. Don't let it have power over your home. Keep it at bay with the word of God. Keep it at bay with declaring the promises of God. Get an apocalypse. You know the best way for you to fight against what's going on in the world is get into the center of it like Jesus did and say, God, I want the apocalypse that Peter had. I need that revelation. I need to see things the way you see them. Help me to see that when I read the Bible. Open up my, give me new understanding of your word. We're understanding I didn't have it before. Give me a fresh understanding of salvation. Give me a fresh understanding of, of revelation. Give me a fresh understanding of prayer. Give me a fresh understanding uh, of witnessing. Help me to see things from your perspective. Can we stand this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's appropriate for us to lift our voice in prayer this morning. Can we do that today? Hallelujah, Jesus, give us fresh understanding. Give us fresh understanding. Give us fresh understanding. Give us a fresh understanding, Lord. Give us a, a clear sight to see things the way you see them, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you let your voice out to the Lord this morning and just ask for that that clear revelation and clear understanding of his word. Jesus, I need you to know. I need to know your word. I need to know your word. Hallelujah. Why don't we, if you feel comfortable with it, would you come around this front area? I feel like it would be good for us to pray as a family together this morning in response to the word. Would you come and let's let's come around this altar and pray together for just a few moments before we leave. We need, we need the body of Christ. The disciples were together at Caesarea Philippi in the center of all the wickedness and the, the evil. We are surrounded by wickedness. I don't know if you feel the pressure that I feel times when I'm in the world, especially when my kids are coming home from school and telling me what they see and what they've been told and what they... There's a pressure in this world. There is a there is an undeniable pressure when you read the news, when you even look on social media. There's a pressure of this world that wants to snuff out the light of God's world. We need a revelation. We need one another. I want to leave you with this verse. Jesus finished off this whole encounter when he was talking to Peter. Peter had this great revelation, and Peter finished off what he was saying. He said to Peter, you're a Peter. Petros, a piece of rock, and on this Petra, on this rock, I build my church. Interesting. There, remember where they were? Caesarea Philippi. There was a giant mountain there with a big cave that was known as the gates of hell. And Jesus said to his disciples, and I will build my church and the gates of hell 
shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. Jesus was literally pointing to the culture around him and saying, guys, this is pretty bad. This is probably the worst it gets in our region. And this won't stop the church. This will not overpower the church. This, they, they were doing all kinds of unspeakable acts that I don't, uh, you can just read through the lines of what I'm saying, okay? They, they were doing stuff that they haven't yet promoted today as normal, but they're coming close. It's all going on the backdrop, and Jesus literally points to that and says, the gates of hell, this center of activity, will not overpower, be strong to the detriment of, or hold out against the church. In other words, Jesus is saying the gates will swing both ways, guys. The gates will swing open to launch an attack against the church, and it won't work. It'll fail. But the gates also swing in. Because the gates won't be the ones always on the offense. The church will be on the offense too. And the gates will have to yield as the church pushes on them to reach in, to pull out of the gates of hell those souls whose hell has claimed for herself. It will not hold out against it. I don't know if that helps you this morning, but that gives me great, great courage that God is going to see us through. And you have family that are maybe on the other sides of the gates. Jesus said the gates aren't going to withstand the onslaught of the church. You may feel the attack from the gates, maybe from your school system, maybe from your neighborhood, your friends, your coworkers, your relatives. Just even from watching the news, you feel that attack of the gates of hell encroaching on the church. You need to conform. You need to say what we say or we'll cancel you. They can't cancel the church. The church cannot be stopped. God will do what he wants to do. So let's pray and let's talk to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, I pray for revelation. I pray for understanding. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you give strength to your people today. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we trust you, Lord. We believe in you, Lord. Give us a fresh understanding. Help us not to be afraid. Embolden us, impassion us, God, to do your work. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We come against the attacks of the enemy. We come against everything that he would try to rise up in our minds. Every fear, every bit of intimidation, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we bind that as spirit of intimidation and fear in the name of Jesus, and we loose the authority of your word, the power of your name, and of your spirit into our lives. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Would you turn your prayers towards those who are on the other side of the gates now? Maybe you know people who are on the inside of the gates of hell that need to be rescued. 
Would you turn your prayers towards them now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray for family, for friends, those who are on the other side of the gates. Father, you said that the church would, would prevail and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So in Jesus' name, we pray for lost family members. We pray, God, for the lost in this city. We pray for every religion, every, every person who calls on your name but does not understand who you are. In Jesus' name, reveal yourself to them. Lord, we pray for every Muslim and Islamic person in this city of Ajax. Lord Jesus, that you'd reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. Lord, we pray for every Hindu and Buddhist individual in this city, God, who calls on gods with eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear and hands that cannot touch. Lord, but I pray that you would reveal to them you are the high priest that is touched with the feeling of their infirmities today in Jesus name we pray for family members who are unsaved today who have who have rejected you perhaps who've walked away Lord Jesus from their fellowship with you we pray God that you'd loose angels to rescue them as you rescued Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah send angels Lord to lead them back to the church Lord send angels to the hungry like you did to Cornelius Jesus to lead us to the hungry and lead the hungry to us. In Jesus' name, do a work in this city. Do a work in this area. Do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we close, I want us, as we, as we sing a little song, I want you to, men with men, ladies with ladies, would you just pray for one another? There needs to be a, a, a soft spirit of encouragement this morning to cover us and to help us. So would you find a way, either lay hands on each other's shoulders or hold each other's hands, but let's pray together and just pray for one another this morning. Pray the hand of the Lord to encourage and to strengthen each other today. Jesus, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Cover and strengthen your people, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Cover me when I am hurting. Cover me when I'm not strong. Cover me when I am going through the storm. Cover me when all seems hopeless. Cover me when my strength is gone. Let the peace that passes all I cover your people in Jesus' name. Bless them. Keep them and cause your face to shine on them, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Next week is Mother's Day. Uh, we're looking forward to celebrating Mother's Day with you, so uh, come and bring a friend. We're going to have a little gift for all the mothers. It's going to be a special day, and we want you to feel loved and special, so make sure you're here and bring a friend with you. We're going to have a great service. Also, in two weeks is Youth Convention. Um, want you to know about that. There's details in the bulletin of how you can register to go. If you're going to go on the Thursday, the Friday services, or the Friday, Saturday services, you need to pre-register to go. Um, but if you're just going to go on Sunday, there's no registration, there's no cost. 
to going. Um, children 12 years and under are free, so uh, that's also something interesting for you to know. You can find all the details in the bulletin and online. Uh, all of that information is there. Um, let's not forget to give this morning as we worship the Lord in our giving this morning. The offering is here this, at the front. You can give uh, that way or you can give online on our website or by e-transfer. Details are in your bulletin. God bless you. Have a great week. The Lord bless you and have a wonderful time. Greet one another. Smile at each other and enjoy some coffee and tea as you as you uh, leave. Leave with a coffee and